Reagan, can I can I hijack this? Turns right here so I can quick. I'm gonna rearrange stuff. Hi everybody. I'm Burke. I uh, really glad to be here this morning. If uh, you brought your friends for the very first time and you were excited for them to get to to meet Treb, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's a 19 year old on stage and that's really frustrating. I get that. So you guys will have to come back next week and meet the real guy. Uh, like Austin said, my name's Burke. I have a, a wife, Kristen. She's right there. She's much prettier than I am. I don't know how I swung that. Uh, so we're expecting our first child, Lily. Uh, we're really excited. Thanks, Maria. Appreciate that. Uh, also, you guys, you guys probably know and, and love my, my family. Uh, if, if you come around, you, you probably know them a lot better than you do me. But I, I'm pretty sure, so my, my parents are Tim and Julie, and, and Megan, Megan Pittman's my little sister, and also Stephen's my brother-in-law. It, it's not new to me that you like my family more than you like me. I'm pretty sure I had friends in high school that, that only hung out with me uh, so that they could hang out with my parents. Uh, <laughs> I remember one one evening specifically when they took us to the casino right after I turned 18. My, that's that's what life was like growing up with Tim and Julie. Uh, and uh, like <laughs> like uh, and like Austin said, uh, I, I I'm in uh, full time ministry. I, I work live and work in Norman. Uh, I, I direct a movement down there of, of college students. It's called, we call it Crew. Uh, I love what I get to do. I love working with it's, it's a bummer to me that, that we don't get to be up here. I love this community, and I love being around you guys, but, but that's where God has us. Uh, man, wouldn't life be better if things were different? Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but, but I, I'm just pretty sure that if, if something were, were different in life, it would feel like life would be better. Maybe, maybe you're single, and, and you're thinking, man, if, if I just had a spouse, life would be so much better. I could just catch a man, and things would be good. Or maybe, maybe you're already married, and you're thinking, "Did I do that?" Uh, maybe you're you're already thinking, "Wow, if if uh, I lost my train of thought." Maybe you're already married, and you're thinking, "If my marriage were just better, then 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 my my life would be good, and, and things would be in order." Or maybe you're thinking, "If I were married to a different person." Life would be better. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not marriage. Maybe it's not that part of life. I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do about that? No. Uh, maybe, maybe it's money. Maybe you're thinking, like, if I had more money or if all my debt would go away, then life would be so much better. Uh, maybe if – maybe it's your job. Actually, I, I was talking to yesterday, and I was just telling her, life – is this over here? Should I stay in here? Huh? I'm gonna catch fire. Uh, that wouldn't be good. I, I was talking to a. F- <laughs> Life would be better if I didn't catch on fire this morning. Uh, put my mic up. Stephen plays the guitar, so he knows things like this. Is that better? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Great. Now you don't have to turn the volume up so much. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I was talking with a friend. And I was telling her yes, just yesterday, man, life would be so much better if I had an administrative assistant. Uh, and then I wouldn't have to deal with email and phone calls and, and all the correspondence and things that go along with that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your kids and you're thinking, wow, if my kids would just make better life decisions, 
if they'd move closer to home or if I had a better relationship with them, life would be better. I don't know what it is. Uh, but, but we are, as a species, uh, a whole bunch of malcontents. Uh, things could always be better. The, the you know, polite way to say this is that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And the thing is, we know that that's not true. We, we know that, that the grass is not always greener, that, that our, our cert, just a change in circumstances will, will not really make everything better. Uh, but, but still, for whatever reason, uh, there's this thing inside me that, that screams out, there's something better out there. Uh, there's, there's something that will fix this discontentment inside of me. Uh, and it's, it's very hard to find. But the good news is, is that, that true satisfaction is available. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll look at the Bible together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this morning and, and this community that you've gathered us together. Uh, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you'd be in the room with us, uh, that you would give us the ears to hear uh, what you're speaking to us, that, God, you would use me as your mouthpiece directly to you and change the hearts of the people who are here. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read out of John chapter 4. My, my Bible literally fell apart this morning, so there's a good chance I'll drop this at some point this morning. But um, this is a, a story we only find in the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. When John wrote his Gospel, he picked uh, very specific stories for very specific reasons. Uh, And this is one of my favorite stories. So here we go. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So I didn't tell them beforehand, so they don't have it to put up there before the gospel of John. Oh, but there are Bibles around here. I see them. Here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship the, what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That was long. Thanks for bearing with me. Uh, we'll start by, by kind of talking about the geography of the passage, and I'm going to try and do this backwards. So along the, Israel's kind of a, a long, skinny place, uh, and along the, the east side of Israel, there's a river. It's called the Jordan River, and it flows out of a sea called the Sea of Galilee, and it flows into uh, the Dead Sea. And that, that kind of makes up the, the, the eastern border backwards, I'm sorry. That makes up the eastern border uh, of, of Israel. And then on, on the west, uh, it's bordered by the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's kind of this, this long, long, skinny strip of land. And in the north is Galilee. And Galilee's got Nazareth. It's where Jesus uh, grew up. That's where he does a lot of his ministry and miracles. And the south uh, is Judah, or Judea now. Uh, and in, in Judea, there's Jerusalem, the temple, uh, that's where Jesus is crucified. And, and so we, we, a whole lot of things go on in, in the Gospels in these two places. But right smack dab in the middle is a place called Samaria. Uh, and the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Uh, and there's a couple reasons. Uh, the Samaritans were descendant from the, the, the northern tribes of Israel. Back after, after Solomon died, Israel split into two countries. And, and so the, the northern tribes... Uh, they were conquered before the southern tribes. And when after they were conquered, they, they intermarried with their, their Gentile or non-Jew conquerors. And, and so part of the reason that Jews and Samaritans don't get along is that there's racial tension. Uh, they're, they're different colors, and, and so they, don't, they just don't get along. <laughs> and not that that's a good reason to not get along. Uh, but, but that was kind of a big no-no uh, back in... Testament to intermarry outside. Uh, but then on top of that, when, when these two tribes split, uh, the temple remained in, or the, these two groups split, the, the temple remained in the southern portion uh, where, where David's family continued to reign. And, and so people continued to be able to worship at the temple there and fulfill the Old Testament law. Uh, but the people that lived in the north didn't have the temple anymore, and so they couldn't fulfill that. So they had to kind of change the scriptures a little bit to fit their new worship style. And that'll actually come out later. So there's, there's racial tension going on here. There's religious tension going on here. And, and the Jews and Samaritans dislike each other so much that it was customary uh, for when a Jew would travel between Galilee and, and, and Judah to not go through Samaria, but either actually take an eastern route uh, where they crossed over the Jordan River and, and came 
came up on the east side or to go over to a coastal road and kind of go through the very uh, international towns along the western coast. And so they, they disliked each other so much that they, they often avoided one another. But the, the passage here tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and that'll come back to us later. Uh, and so he's, he's got to go through Samaria. He's in Samaria, and, and then he's tired thirsty. It's the middle of the day. It's noon. So he sits by a well and he sends his disciples into town and go to go get food. And he's just sitting at the well by himself. And while he's there, a woman approaches him. Uh, and so the culturally normal thing to do for Jesus at this point would have been to just ignore the woman. Uh, men didn't really talk with women. Jews didn't talk with Samaritans. And so what Jesus should have done by the cultural standards of the day was just ignore the woman. Uh, Jesus hates doing what's culturally normal. Uh, and so <laughs> he didn't do that. He, he spoke to the woman. He said, hey, will you give me a drink? Um, and that's, that's pr- a pretty innocuous thing to say to us. But to, to maybe kind of give you a little bit more of the feel of what she would have heard, it would have been kind of like if Jesus had, had gone up to her and said, hey, buy me a drink. Uh, and, and it would have sort of carried those same connotations, just a man speaking with a woman. Uh, and so the woman responds with, with shock, and she says, you know, how is it that you, Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Uh, Sir, you are being wildly inappropriate. Why are, why are you doing that? Why are you asking me for a drink? Uh, and so Jesus responds with, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, essentially, but he essentially says, well, if you knew who I was and what it is that I have to offer you, you would have asked me, and, and I would have given you living water. And this confuses them. And naturally so, because here he is, he's sitting by a well. He doesn't, he's not drinking anything. He's asking her for a drink, but he's saying, I have living water that I can give to you. So she responds with, well, how are you going to get that water? That's a deep well. Your arms aren't that long. Uh, You don't have anything to pull the water out with. How are you going to do that? And so Jesus, um, she's thinking in terms of the physical. But Jesus is thinking in terms of the spiritual. And he responds by saying, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying that the problem with the water here at this well is that it doesn't really satisfy. And it doesn't really satisfy because, you know, you can drink of it. And, and you'll be satisfied for a little bit, but you're going to need to come back here and have more water later. And so it's, it's not really satisfying your thirst. It's just kind of delaying the inevitable. It's delaying your, your need for it again. Uh, the water that I have will quench your thirst permanently. It will completely satisfy your needs. And on top of that, but wait, there's more. It will lead to eternal life. You will have life with God forever and ever and ever. Um, Now, if I were the woman at the well hearing Jesus tell me these things, I I think I would respond with skepticism. Uh, I've I've never met this man before, and and all of a sudden he's telling me that he's got this magic water that will keep me from being thirsty, and he, he can promise me eternal life. And I'd be thinking like, oh, you've got some snake oil in your back pocket too that can like cure gout and that sort of thing. Uh, but that's not how this woman responds. 
and, and that gives us clues into kind of what's going on with her. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to come back here again. She doesn't like coming to the well every day. Of course she wouldn't. It's hot. It's a, probably a long walk. It's outside of town. And, and so she, she asks for the water. And Jesus does something really interesting. Uh, he, he, start, he, he tells her to go and get her husband. He says, go and get your husband. And the woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This revelation makes all of what's been happening up until this point make a whole lot of sense. Like, why, why is she going to the well in the hottest part of the day when no one else is there? It would, it would have been culturally normal, culturally uh, average for her to go in the morning in the cool of the day. Well, the reason that she doesn't go to the well in the cool of the day is because that's when everybody else goes. And if that's when all the other women are at the well in the morning, then, then she doesn't want to be a part of it. Uh, she doesn't want all the whispers and gossip and glares that come along with being the, the person that's lived this type of lifestyle up until that point. Um, and so she wants this water that Jesus offers, and she wants it badly because never being thirsty again will mean that she never has to return to this well, and never having to return to the well uh, means that she won't have to deal with that. And she's thinking to herself, life would just be so much better if I didn't have to come back to this well every single day. Uh, but Jesus is also revealing sort of a pattern of this type of thinking in her life over time. Um, so at some point in this woman's life, she was married to her first husband. Uh, and we don't know what happened with her first husband. Uh, it, it could be uh, that he abandoned her found somebody else and, and just rolled with it. It could be that, uh, you know, she abandoned him, that she didn't really, just wasn't really feeling it anymore, and she wanted to go find something new and exciting. It, it, it could be that he was abusive, and, and she needed to get out of there. Uh, what, whatever it was, though, regardless uh, of the circumstances, what's true is that she had significant, deep needs in her heart that were not being met in that relationship. She had a need for love and intimacy and, and security and acceptance, and those things were not being met in that relationship. So for whatever reason, it ended, and she, and she thought to herself, if I just had a different husband, life would be better. And so she went on to another husband, and, and same thing went on again. And this process repeated itself at least five times uh, where she just thought to herself, life would be better if things were different, if my marriage were better. Um, and here we are, years down the road, she's at the well with Jesus. She's living with a man who's, who's not her husband. Nobody will even marry her anymore. Um, and, and life is clearly not okay. The, the strategy that she chose of just moving on and not dealing with it and, and thinking that there was something better on the other side of the fence has not worked out. And Jesus is probing into and poking into some of the, the deepest and darkest places in her heart, 
some of the, the worst wounds, for she feels the most vulnerable. Uh, and so he, she does what, what <laughs> any normal person would do. She changes the subject. Uh, she, she says, uh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. I see this all the time with college students. They'll be sitting down, we'll, talking, we'll be talking about their lives and the real things uh, going on, real hurts, uh, real ways that they're trying to fill these deep needs of their heart. Uh, and then when we hit a little too close to home, when things start to get a little too vulnerable, I'll start getting questions about evolution. Or <laughs> because, because that's a safe thing to talk about. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't expose me. That doesn't make me vulnerable. Please resist the temptation that this woman falls into. Please take courage and, and be honest with yourself in this moment. Are you this woman? Can you relate with her? Uh, I, I know that I can. She, she brings up uh, an objection about where, where are we supposed to worship? And it goes back to the, the classic argument between Jews and Samaritans. You know, do we worship on the mountain in Samaria or do we worship in the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus responds by essentially saying, that doesn't matter. Uh, what God is looking for, well, here, I'll read it because it's good. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. It doesn't matter where you worship. Uh, what matters is how you worship. Uh, but then that, that last little phrase there, I think is so important. He, sees, he says, for the father is seeking such people to worship him. And the, imp, the strong implication is that he is telling the woman, God is seeking you. And all of a sudden it becomes very clear why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria to meet this woman. It becomes very clear why, why Jesus sat at a well and sent his buddies into town uh, to sit by himself. It's because he wanted to speak with this woman. Uh, it becomes very clear why he, a Jew, spoke to her, a woman of Samaria. It's because he loved her and he wanted to meet her deep needs individually. He knew her, he foreknew her, he foresaw her, and he went to go find her. And for the woman who's been spending her entire life trying to find these, this deep need in her heart for love and acceptance and intimacy and security, uh, been trying to find it in men over and over and over, she has now found it in the Messiah, the most important and good man who has ever lived. He chose her. He sought her out. And so now all of those things that she's been looking for are now perfectly met in him and what he offers, living water and the Holy Spirit. She, she is more loved by him than she could ever be loved by any other man. Uh, she can experience more intimacy with God than she ever could with any other person uh, because the Holy Spirit actually comes and lives inside of our hearts. And, and, and we become, in a very real way, uh, living in God with God living in us. It's John 15, that's another sermon. Um, 
Jesus is that this sort of love, this sort of intimacy is not just for the woman at the well. This is available to each and every one of us. The, the truth is, is that Jesus, the God of the universe, the king and creator of all things, came down from heaven uh, and really for us to, to live an absolutely perfect life and then to sacrifice that life prematurely so that we might have an eternal relationship with him. You can know that God loves you and God has sought you out because he has sent his son to come and live and die for you. And God has chosen you. And relationship with God, intimacy with God, a love far greater than you could ever hope or know or hope to imagine is available to you right now in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, whether you've had it since you were a child or, or still aren't sure what you think about God. Jesus loves you. And that is enough. He is the only one who is enough. He designed our hearts to be satisfied only in a relationship with him. It's kind of a weird thing to think about. But the, so the, we talked earlier about the grass always being greener, about always being discontent with our circumstances. There's a reason for that. God did not create you to be satisfied with this world and the things of this world. God created you for something far greater, far better than what you are currently experiencing. God created you for deep, loving, intimate relationship with him. God is calling you to himself and is far better than, than a better marriage or, or different job circumstances or financial security. Uh, because those things are temporary and, and they never carry the weight that our personal relationship with God does. He fully meets our needs for love. He fully meets our need for intimacy. He fully meets our need for security. And he fully need, meets our need for acceptance in ways that nothing else in this world can. And that's by design. He meant for it to be that way. And so the result of this playing itself out in our lives, like what do I, what do I get besides being you know, incredibly loved and fully accepted? Like what, how does that change me? Well, it offers me the power of self-forgetfulness. That when my needs are fully met by somebody else, then what happens is all of a sudden I don't have to worry about my needs so much anymore. Um, we, we see this with the woman, right? She's talking with Jesus. Uh, the disciples show up. They just kind of stand there with their jaws open, and the woman leaves. But this is what she does. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Now, <laughs> the, the symbolism is clear. The woman was satisfied after she met Jesus. Her thirst was gone, so she left the jar behind. Uh, but then I think what happens afterwards is even more incredible. She does the exact opposite of what she wanted to do earlier. Uh, earlier, she wanted this living water so that she would no longer have to come back to the well. She did not. She was avoiding people. Uh, she didn't want to have to come back to the well because she didn't, she didn't want to see people. But immediately after she meets Jesus, uh, she went away into the town and said to the people, Come. 
See a man who told me all that I ever knew. Can this be the Christ? And so something has drastically changed inside of her. Uh, Before Jesus, she avoids people. After Jesus, she seeks people out. It's because her needs are fully met in him. And the gossip and the glares and the whispers probably still sting, but it's okay and it's bearable because Jesus is enough because she's loved by him and that's enough. And so she, she doesn't have to look to her own needs and what will make her own circumstances it better anymore. She can genuinely think about the people around her and, and, how, uh, and how their needs and how she can enter into their lives and make things better for them. And, and what that means in this moment is exactly what she just found, a relationship with Jesus. When I'm satisfied in Jesus, the stuff that I wanted doesn't seem as important anymore. And and when I'm satisfied in Jesus, uh, I can forget myself and begin to remember the needs of other people. Uh, I don't don't do things because I believe I have something to earn from God. I don't don't follow God because I, I believe that I have something to pay back to him. And I'm not chasing after things that I think will make my circumstances better anymore. The the thing is, I I can say it just like, oh, wow, it's so easy. It's really hard to live that way. It is very difficult to believe and remember and walk in this truth that I have everything I need in Jesus. Don't don't hear me say this isn't an easy thing to live. Uh, Sometimes Jesus feels distant. Sometimes God seems very far away and uninterested in what's going on with me. Sometimes my circumstances are, are horrible and, and I, I, it feels like God's abandoned me. The promise of the cross is that our hope in Jesus is secure, that we have not misplaced uh, our, our belief in him and our, our hope for something better because he has proven his love for us by his death and proven his ability to, to bring us into relationship with him by his resurrection. Some, some questions for you guys to, to think on and, and ask yourself and, and reflect on. The, the first is this. Have you been honest with yourself about your inability to satisfy or meet your own needs? Are you, are you going through life thinking, it's in my control. If I change my circumstances, things will be better. Or have you, you finally given up after, I don't know how many decades, and said, I, I don't know. And I beat me to it. I just can't do it. The next is this. How would life look different if you were fully satisfied in Jesus? What if you really did experience the fullness and that the creator of the universe. What would you stop chasing? What would seem less important? Who would you love better? Jesus loves us, and that is enough. Jesus loves us, and that is far better than we ever could have hoped, 